You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, the podcast for Asian Americans in film, television, and streaming. In this podcast, we hold candid discussions about the business and artistic side of Hollywood through the Asian American perspective and interview the trailblazing pioneers who made the industry what it is today. I'm your host, Masami Moria. This week, we're speaking with Bash Naren, a literary agent at WME and a founding member of The Salon, a forum for South Asian artists and executives in entertainment to connect and collaborate, share resources, facilitate mentorship, drive public advocacy, and disperse grants. When we spoke to Bash in 2021, he was a literary manager at Writ at Large. We spoke about what it means to have a literary manager and why it is important to have someone in your corner. We also spoke about why this salon was important to come to existence for South Asian Americans in entertainment. Before we get into the podcast, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to the Strong Asian Lead podcast. It's been a rough start and stop process where we're still coming back from publishing our, all of our back episodes. As much as our team has grown in the past few months, most of what you see on our socials, emails, and even this podcast is produced by one person. It's a lot of work to do what we're doing, and we hope that all of this is helpful to you in your careers. I also want to make sure that our listeners know that our membership website is consistently updated with movies, resources, events, interviews, and funding opportunities, most of which aren't even our own. We scour the internet and find ones relevant to the Asian Pacific Islanders and entertainment and post them for you to find without having to wait for them to come up on your social media feed. This is something I wish I had when I started out on my Asian American entertainment journey, which is why we created it so that everyone can be enjoy. And I say Asian American entertainment journey because I was doing filmmaking before I kind of realized I was Asian American. Um, more about that on my backstory later. But I think at some point I had a lot of filmmaking podcasts and shows and internet stuff that wasn't about Asian Americans. So I just kind of felt like out of the loop. But when I did find my Asian American identity, I didn't find a lot of resources. So now I do. I find them all the time and I want to share them with everybody. We at Strong Asian Lead want to share them with everybody so that everybody has somewhere to go and a community to find. So again, we hope they're all helpful to you in that we put them on our website so that you can find them. It's free, it's easy, fairly easy to use, and we post those um, daily, and you can find all those on our website and our membership platform, or you can wait for their emails to come in every week. This, uh, again, it's free, and we hope it serves you in your journey through Hollywood. You can sign up by going to members.strongasianlead.com or by going to our website and find the sign up under our website. If you're already receiving our emails, you can log in by using your email address and changing the password to using the forget password thing. And you can, you know, find all the resources and add yourself to the directory. All you have to do is uh, create a profile, add all, answer all the questions, add a photo, you know, do your social media things and add all your links and anything that you want. Um, so that, and we do that because we want everybody to put their information up so that, you know, people are real people. Uh, instead of just like, you know, an empty profile. So if you're interested in all of our resources, uh, please create a profile and uh, connect with others and use all the resources we have. We share them so that you can find them all and see yourself in the posts and grants and events that we put up so that you can see yourself in them and that you're not feeling like so alone in Hollywood. We know and understand that community is important. And to see yourself represented in Hollywood is one thing, but to see yourself represented in the starting up of Hollywood is a whole other thing. And if we don't really find those spaces and don't know where to find them, we want to be the place where you can go do that. So again, you can sign up at members.strongagentlead.com or you can go through our website at strongagentlead.com, go to the sign up and, I don't know, sign up. And again, it's free. So we just want you to have the best resources possible. So thanks again for listening to the podcast. And Here's my interview with Bash Aaron. Thank you so much for just taking some time to, to talk with us right now. We'll go straight into everything. But yeah, I really appreciate the time. And, and I don't get to talk to a lot of the lit managers, especially Asian lit managers who are doing some good work out there. And it's really cool to, to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. And you're right, there aren't very many of us Asian lit managers out there. Um, and even fewer, obviously, South Asian lit managers. And so we're, we're a very small bunch and you know we all know one another and 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 are trying to uplift one another so i'm happy to be here to talk about the field talk about myself a little bit i um i'm very happy to talk about myself give me any opportunity to talk about myself and let me make it happen but you know this is an awesome podcast and i'm so happy to be a part of it and uh i'm a so yes i'm a lit manager and producer at writ large i've been here 
three years now. I'm actually just started my fourth year a few days ago. So I just celebrated an anniversary and I'm very happy to be here. Um, and I, as the title indicates, I work with literary talent. So that's writers, directors, and, and now producers as well in both scripted and unscripted media. So everything from scripted television, feature films, indie films, studio films, to now documentaries and unscripted content as well. Incredible. Yeah. And you, you tell me your full name so I can get pronunciation right. I, I want you to read your name. So I want to make sure. No, you no, it right. it's, it's Bash. It's just Bash Naren, which is actually short for my, my, my parents' name, the, the name my parents gave me, Boschker, but people call me Bash. Boschker. I like that too. Yeah. Bash, right on. No, this is fantastic. And I think that the work, you know, a lot of people, I think there's a lot of mysticism behind literary managers and what's going on. Like, we want to get one. Don't know what that does. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what is your day to day as a literary manager and working with your clients uh, and finding new clients? Yeah, man. I mean, I understand the mysticism. This is a hard industry to crack into just because there are so few opportunities and so few shots. That said, you know, I'm happy to demystify the position and demystify the business just a little bit. My day to day varies. It's never the same, quite frankly. And that's because I do work with, you know, um, so many different writers and directors. And some days one writer's work or one director's work may take precedent because of a time a time issue or uh, just because we're jiving on a particular idea. That said, breaking it down, the literary man I, I think the position of a literary manager, the role of a literary manager in a creative's life is that of a creative partner. It's somebody that you can speak to on a day-to-day basis about all the ideas that are you know running through your head about the things that you're writing, about the roadblocks you may have, or about the things that you may be really, really excited about. Um, you know, where that person that has read every draft of your work, quite frankly, or that you've talked to about every insecure decision you've had about that, about that choice you might've made in that yeah. one script, right? Um, and so I think we get you intrinsically, or that, that at least is the hope and the goal of the relationship. So uh, on a day-to-day basis, I am talking to clients. I am working with them on their material. If, the, if that material is done, I'm working either by myself or in concert with an agent um, in bringing that material out to the town. I'm also doing lots of phone calls. I'm speaking to studio executives. I'm speaking to producers. I'm speaking to other writers. I'm speaking to other reps about the state of the marketplace, the state of the industry, just so that I can get a better understanding and can, can be more educated about the, what the world looks like, what the business world of entertainment looks like, so that when I am talking to my clients about that next idea that they should write, or that next idea that they should pursue, you know, we're always working in the right direction to make sure that we can find that beautiful intersection of art and commerce. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the part that the writers, as a as a writer director, person myself, I'm like, okay, I need to hear about those things, but am I focusing all the time? Do I know the right people? Am I talking and reading the right things? Um, getting an inside scoop of things is valuable, invaluable, if anything. Yeah. What do you look for in your writers and your clients when you're looking for stories, whether it be in the specific genres you're looking at right now for yourself? What kind of and like as a writer, like what do you look for in when you when you find new writers? Like, what are you asking them? What do you what do you hope that they're they're doing so that it helps you sell them? Yeah, I'm always looking for people that have life story, that have life experience, you know, I, I know that there's lots of kids coming out of like, you know, the film schools and whatnot. And I think that's great. And I think that they are. They are so ready to go and they're so ready to hit the ground running. At the same time, I'm, I'm curious about what else makes you you because it's not film school. Film school does not make you you, right? It's the life that you've already lived to that point. It's the family story. It's the it's the cool thing. It's the cool trip that you once took that makes you you and that defines your perspective, right? I think at the end of the day, every writer, every creator, every creative type is unique in and of themselves. The stories that they tell, everyone can tell a coming of age story. We all know this, right? We can all go and tell Ferris Bueller's Day Off over and over and over again. But how do you, David, tell that story, I think is the interesting thing, right? And so whenever I meet with a writer, I'm always curious about what's gotten them to this point today, right? And I tell every writer, I tell every director, you've got to nail your elevator pitch. And I don't mean that in like that skeevy sort of like, you know, corporate way when you, you know, you see, you see Ted Sarandos in an elevator and you're like, oh, this is, this is who I am. This is the five minute on who I am. Like, no, that's not what I mean. But I'm like, when you are having, you know, when you are having a coffee with somebody, when you are having a meal with somebody, just like you write the stories that you want them to read, what's your story? What's your life story? And why are people going to be invested in you, right? Mm-hmm. Because this business is interesting. Like, yes, you can be a great writer, but you also have to be a great collaborator. You have to be somebody that someone wants to invest their time into, right? Just like any relationship, any any friendly relationship that you have out there, somebody's going to have to invest their time into you, just like you're going to have to invest your time into them. And so what is that? What is that life experience that's brought you to today and that's going to keep you going? 
is what I'm always looking for. The, the motivation, I guess, the salt of the sand, you know? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing here. It's really not about the work is really important, but really it's about what this person is, who they what they're learning from. It's not, hey, here's my story, here's the thing. I went to AFI. The work is important, right? The mm-hmm. writing is important. It has to be great. Yeah. But great material, great written work comes because of a great writer who's lived, right? Who can mm-hmm. put a little bit of themselves into the work. Like I think you can even take like a story like like even like a men in black like story, right? Like seemingly studio picture, big thing. What writer can relate to that experience of being a men in black, right? But you break down that story a little bit, right? And it's about a from, you know, a kid from just the city that that sees an opportunity and takes it and runs with it, right? He's like, hey man, I can I can be this otherworldly or multi-worldly, if you want, right? Agent that saves the world from alien invasions at its core, at a, rather at its surface. I don't think you or I can relate to that, right? But mm. what we can relate to is the coming of age aspect of Will Smith's character going from seemingly nobody to seemingly somebody. We all want that arc in our lives. And so I want to see that arc in your life too. Yeah. So w- when you're getting this elevator pitch or the pitching the story or pitching yourself, it's what are you like listening for? Is it that like they really understand themselves and really have their history down? Like, here's the story. Cause I know I don't mind, but I think a lot of uh, people I hear is like, they don't know how to tell their story. They don't know. They don't think they have a story. I think this, their story is this one they're writing, not the one that bring. So what are you, what are you, what are you listening I, for? I promise you, you have a story. I promise yeah. you that if you're listening to this, you have a story, right? Um, your story's brought you to this very moment listening to David and myself, right? But I think it's I think it's important, just like just like any writer breaks down the, you know, their own story, their own script, right? You have to break down your life just a little bit, right? Like let's let's break it down really quickly. I can tell you about my story just for a quick second. Okay. So I am I I'm a South Asian male. I grew up in a in a family of, you know, as expected, a family full of physicians. Both my parents are doctors, my sister is a doctor. Her husband is a doctor. My little brother's in medical school. His girlfriend's in medical school. And obviously I'm the black sheep here, you know, but it's something so far away and different from what they did. And I've always actually found comfort in that. Like, I, I like to be the one that that, that that does something different. I like to be the one that, you know, that that adventured out a little bit. And, that, and that's not to say that they didn't, you know, they didn't, they don't have adventures of their own. But like, I, you know, I, I've done this on my own and I take pride in that. Right. I grew up creative. I grew up watching all the movies. I grew up watching all the TV. I grew up listening to all the music. I grew up a creative type. I was always on stage any opportunity I could be in, in school. Starting, I remember, I think eighth grade, I was in a, you know, I was in a play about the different food groups. <laughs> I, think I, I think I played a piece of broccoli, maybe. But all said, right, like I was on stage the moment I could be. And I've been, I've been, you know, involved in some sort of music endeavor pretty much my entire life. Like I've always been in choirs, bands. I had a cover band. I was in a jazz ensemble. I did acapella in college, you know, and, and now, unfortunately, I don't have the time to, to, to jam out, but at home, like when I'm by myself and just, just hang and I'll crack out the guitar and, and just play for myself. Right. So I've, mm-hmm. I've tried to find creativity at each and every corner and, and nook and cranny of my life. And so that said, you know, I went to high school, I did all the creative stuff. And when it came time to go to college, my parents were very serious, like, hey, it's time to finally focus. It's time mm-hmm. to focus. And it's time to become serious, because you can't play the guitar your entire life. You can't act. You can't do any of that stuff, right? You have to, you've got to go do something serious. You've got to become a doctor, you've got to become a lawyer, an engineer, work in finance. And I believe them. I 100% believe them, right? And that's what I did. I, you know, I was an economics and finance major. And I worked really, really hard. And after school, it's it's what I decided to pursue. I, I pursued the corporate life. I worked in startups. And in 2014, I was just really unhappy, and I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled. I knew that there was something else out there for me, and so I I I said enough was enough, and I moved out to Los Angeles. And I started on the very bottom. I, I was an assistant to an agent at CAA. And I worked from agency to management company where I realized that I, I loved management. I loved everything about it. And now years later, I've been a manager, I think going on five or six years. And, and I love each and every day of it because like I said earlier, I get to work with so many different types of people. I get to work with so many different types of creators that are telling all different types of stories. They're completely genre agnostic. And we're just telling stories that are fun, that matter, that, you know, that are relatable and that you can enjoy from wherever you are, whether that be the theater or at home, 
just really, really fun stuff is, is what I like to work on. And so, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's how I got here. And that's what, that's where I want to go. I want to keep telling fun stories. And so that's my elevator pitch. I think we did that in about three minutes, three and a half minutes. And yeah. I, I took you through the emotional portions of my life in which I was told I couldn't do this and I still figured it out. Right. I took you through the, the, the facts of it all. And here we are today. Like that's an elevator pitch. And I hope you were invested. I hope, you know, please give me all the pointers, email me. But, uh, but that, that, that's, that's the gist of what I think people need to accomplish. Right. No, I think that's great too. I had, I was laughing. I felt motion. I felt my motion change. You're like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, no, you can do it. <laughs> I believe in you. No, I think it's fantastic. And no, it was a good story for itself. You know, and kind of going into wrapping into that a little too. So how do you feel when people, um, like, what do you see, like, who's good for this job? Like, I'm not going into management, I'm the writer side, but I think there's a lot of open, just more opportunities for Asian, South Asian writers and uh, people in who want to get in the film industry, but aren't writers. How does people, how do people like assess they want to be a manager? Like, how did you find out you were like loved management, this, that side of management instead of, you know, being the guitarist and being managed Right. So how do you find, where's, where do people think yeah. about that? I think I've, I think I've always had a knack like business, if you will. Right. Um, I've always like, I remember selling chocolates on the street of New York city, you know, like I, so I, yeah, I went to grade school in New York city and like to fundraise for my Catholic school, we had to sell chocolates every, you know, every other semester or so. And I was the kid that always wanted to sell the most amount of chocolate bars, you know? <laughs> and I, I, I most, I more often than not accomplish that goal. That said, I've always been that hustler type, right? And at the same time, I've always loved story and I've always loved movies. I've loved getting lost in in the stories and the characters that, you know, that are that we see on our screens or that we hear in our headphones. I've really, really always loved it. And so I, I think I realized in high school that I loved being on stage, but it wasn't my true calling. My calling was figuring out how to put people on stage, how to put, you know, how to bring these stories to life. And so I thought for a very long time I wanted to be a producer because um, that's what I'd heard a producer does. They make they make shit happen, right? And I didn't know really what a manager did. Like my concept of what a manager was was being a teenager and watching Entourage and seeing that like E, uh, you know, Vince's friend was his manager. And I was like, okay, that's your best friend. I don't have that best friend who wants to be an actor. I don't have that best friend who is a director. So management isn't for me. I didn't know what it was. And when I got out here, even working at CAA. You know, I worked in a very interesting division of CA, which didn't really have a lot of management interaction. And so I still didn't know what a manager was, but I knew that I wanted to be a producer even then. And and a few of the agents there had told me, okay, maybe being an agent isn't for you, but why don't you go work for a manager producer? Why don't you go work for somebody that does both and see how you respond? Because you know, you know, a bit of, you know, you know, you know, part of the representation of it all. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go see what it's like, you know, what it's like to work in their part of the business and see what it's like to be a producer. And so I went to go work for a manager producer and I, I realized working for him that being a manager is like, is being a producer and an agent sort of in one, right? There is a representative quality to the job where you have to represent your clients out in the marketplace. You have to get people excited about them. You have to make sure that you, you know, that, that their best material is what people are seeing and watching and reading, right? And, and it's producerial in the sense that when a writer or a director has an idea, I'm oftentimes the first person that they call and be like, I just had an idea, Bash. I'm so excited about it. How do I make it happen? And sometimes I have to crush dreams and be like, oh, somebody else has already had that idea. Cause I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm constantly keeping um, myself in check with the marketplace. Or sometimes I'm like, that is so awesome. Let's figure this out. Right. And so it starts as a kernel of an idea and then we break it down into a sentence and then we break that sentence down into a few pages. And then we break those sentence, those pages rather into an outline and then a script. And then, you know, we work on that script a few drafts over and we finally get it ready for the marketplace. And then we get it out there into the marketplace and we get producers excited by it. And then producers come on board and then we work with those producers to get it to financiers and studios and they get excited and we bring them on board. And then we go out and find a director or we go out and find talent or we go out and find whomever it is. And we put that together and we see, you know, we see that process through from kernel to execution to release. That is the role of a producer. So in, in, in and of itself, the management role is very producerial. I don't take mm -hmm. credit necessarily on all the projects I'm working with, I'm working on. Being a manager is being your client's, you know, number one advocate and being their producer that doesn't, you know, that doesn't get that producer credit. I'm just happy that they are getting the credit and they are working and they are putting their brilliant stories out there. And so um, I sort of landed on management as a, as a surprise. I didn't realize that this is what a manager does, but now 
I know that I am I am that producer that I want it to be. And at the same time, I don't have the discipline to do what you do, David. I, I can't sit on a computer and like write, 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 write. Like, because it takes so much discipline, doesn't it? Right. You have you have to tell yourself, no, I can't go out for that walk. I need to finish this scene right now. Right. No, like, I can't go out and get coffee or drinks with so and so. I need to finish this, you know, at the moment. And I didn't have that discipline, quite frankly. I'm, I'm, I'm the extrovert's extrovert. Like, invite me out to drinks, I'll see you there. You know. <laughs> so, but I do know that I can talk my ear off, and I'm a kid from Brooklyn, New York, and so I love to chat. A lot of that chat is great because I get to talk to you about your stories, and I get to talk. I get to be that sounding board, that ear that you needed to to get your story from good to great. I think that's so wonderful. Like just having someone to talk about the script and really understand your script, like spend time with you. It's not just the one read and like, here's my notes and here you go. Bye-bye. It's like really getting into it. You know, having my manager, it's like, you just really get really important questions Mm -hmm. that no one ever really gives me. And I think that's that super African. You're not like trying to break it down. Like here, here's the reality of things. And so. Because there's no hard feelings, right? Like I'm I'm asking the critical questions. I don't, I want anybody else to ask you those critical questions. Bash, this is the best thing I've ever read. Who is David? Why am I not working with him? Right? Like that at its core, that's what I want to do. So, so that's why I ask those critical questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, breaking down the the management side. I think that's, I think that's really important. And I, you know, we don't hear enough about that. So I think it's valuable, but I want to switch into the Asian, Asian, South Asian representation of the management side. So you know, what do you see the landscape of API, like literary management? I mean, I have a small list of people who is like, here's there. Mostly it's talent. It's mostly like actors that have it, but I'm not, I don't see a lot of literary. So where do you, do you see a factor in the industry? Do you see a, a pattern or what could be fixed? I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in how yeah, you see things. I think, I think, you know, I think we're on the right path, right? I think that things are slow moving and I wish that they were moving quicker, but they are moving. And I think that there are some really, really amazing folks out there that are doing some really, really amazing work and, and, and working to promote API voices, right? There are managers, there are producers, there are actors that have now become producers that are doing that work. And there are really fantastic writers that have always been here, you know? And I don't, I don't mean to say always been here. They haven't always been here, but they've been here much longer than you or I. And they're continuing to do that good work. And they're now finally getting recognized for it, right? And there's also this great cream of new, new API voices, writers and directors that I'm super excited about that are telling the stories of your and my generation. I, I believe we're you know, around the same age as one another. And like they're telling the stories that like we wanted and they're telling the stories that like are, are exciting to us and are, and are entirely relatable, right? So all said, it's slow moving, but it, it, it is moving. And mm-hmm. there's fantastic people like I'm just thinking of like Daniel Day Kim has an awesome company, right? 3AD. Mm-hmm. They're telling some really, really awesome stories. They're taking chances on young writers. They're making it happen, right? There's Mary Lee at A Major, right? Who started started an Asian focused company um, to, to work with Asian writers, directors, and creators on telling Asian first stories, right? Um, there's fantastic managers out there like um, like uh, Priya Satyani over at Management 360. She represents some amazing, amazing directors, directors and, uh, and and talent. She represents an amazing create, like roster of, 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 of talent. Um, there are awesome agents out there, Praveen Pandian at CAA, right? Uh, Christina Kuo, who's doing some amazing work in Unscripted over at CAA. There's, uh, there's, there's just so many folks that are doing really, really good work out there. And what I love to see now more than ever is that we are coming together. We are working with one another because I think for so long, the wisdom, and, and we've heard this a million times, sorry, forgive me for, for just saying it again, but we've heard right for so many times like so, so many times over that there's only so much space at the table and, and we've broken that down because that's not true. Like we can be successful together. We can like hold each other's hands and take that step onto that, you know, on that final level together. together. So I, I think the work is being done and, and there's some really great stories being told. Like I'm really excited about a story that I don't know if you've heard about that, the, the Disney plus basketball movie that's happening. Yeah. We've seen, we're seeing casting notices of that left and right. The, the, the writer directors of that are, they're awesome. Like I don't work with them at all. I've just been a fan from afar. I know their manager, their manager's crushing it. I know the producer, he's crushing it. Like these are, they're telling awesome stories and Disney's putting that out on the, on, on, on the platform. Like how huge is that? Like, can you yeah. imagine that us growing up? Like I remember growing up in Brooklyn, New York, the only kids you'd see out on the basketball court were Asian kids. It was their job to run the courts. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so the story is 20 years late, but it's here. So I'm, I'm super excited about what's going on. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think we need, we have more writers and we have, now we have more represent, representation, represent, representation within the representatives. <laughs> and I think that's what we need. And, and now I'm, I always had this like kind of theories that it's really helpful to have Asian represent managers and agents to, 
champion Asian voices because they understand it more. They get asked different questions, less microaggressions, things like that. Do you feel the same way? Is like that really help all the time? Is that something that you're like shy away from? No, not at all. I mean, like, I do think that like, listen, I'm South Asian and I love to represent South Asian folks because there is a shorthand that Mm -hmm. comes with just speaking to another South Asian folks, uh, another South Asian person about the things that we don't, that doesn't, that doesn't need saying, right? Like, I don't need to, I don't need to ask you every question about how you were raised. I don't need to ask you every question about the foods that you love. I don't need to ask you every question about, uh, you know, your, your, your love life, because Quite frankly, if you're a teen, if you're a South Asian teenager, you probably hide that shit from your parents. Yeah. At one point in your life, when you were, you know, when you were in elementary school, you were probably really, really shy about your mom giving you Indian food and everyone, you know, saying like, "Oh, what is that? It smells. It stinks." You know, we're we're so far and away from that now. You know, mm-hmm. like I went through that. I know I went through that, and it sucked. And like I look back on that now, and I'm like, I should have been proud that I had my mom's food yeah. in the lunchroom, right? Because this shit is so much better. Now look, <laughs> you want to eat Indian food, you know? I'm, I'm so like, I'm so proud of my culture. And I'm like, you know, and I've obviously had a, a really nuanced history with my culture, you know, at, at, at times shying away from it because I felt like it made me different. And then, and now being super proud of it because I realized it made me unique and unique is what we all strive for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as a South Asian manager working with South Asian clients, it's, it's beautiful. There's harmony to it. I get them. I, I just understand what they're going for. And, um, and if we can call it deficiencies, the deficiencies in their work are, are simply understood. I get, I get why they might exist because of their cultural take on things. Right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, do I think that, do I think that people outside of my community can represent Asian and South Asian folks? 100%. Do I think they should 100%? And do I think that we are getting to a world in which we can understand each other better? Yes. Right. I know that I've done the work and I'm continuing to do the work. Like I think if anything, I think if if anything, 2020 taught us that the work that needs to be done to making a better society is, is the work of education, right? Like we went from being, we went from being, from not being racist to becoming anti-racist, right? Like that was a very powerful term, right? Because it implied that not being a racist was not a passive thing. It was an active thing to take into your own hands. And so in that exact same way, I think it is on each and every one of us to go out there, seek experiences, seek knowledge and education, not just about our own cultures, but, but about all those cultures. Because when I, as I told you, when I look for writers, I look for writers that have life experience and, I, and that have, that have, you know, seen shit and have been through shit, right? And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I, I want to know more about, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't get where, you know, what's, what's your ethnic background? Mixed Japanese American, uh, fifth generation. There you go. Like I, that to me is so, so cool because I was born in India and I, I lived in South Africa till I was about eight. Mm-hmm. My family um, moved to New York City. And so, you know, technically I'm not even first generation, I don't think. Right. Like I think my children will be first generation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't born here. And so it's hard for it was hard for me for a very long time to fathom that Asian people existed in America until like the 60s or the 70s. Right. <laughs> like I think it's yeah. like, what we've been here. Yeah. Since, uh, yeah. and, and so like that to me, like, I want to learn everything I can about that, right? Um, this is like, maybe this is like a, a sort of weird way to take this, but Discovering Warrior. Did you mm-hmm. see that show on HBO? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. We were discovering that show in the pandemic and when HBO Max launched, and I became quickly obsessed with it. And then it took me down this huge, like, Wikipedia hole where I was like, I need to know everything about Asian immigration into California during the gold trade, during the gold rush, right? And, and so it was an entry point. But nonetheless, I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. What can you do? to become a better human being, a better society member. Yeah. And I think that's a, well, just like you said, you got introduced to worry and you find new things, you learn about the history, you learn about the, what had happened. That's why I think it's really important to tell our stories, not only historical, but you know, contemporary as well, but mainly for me, it's historical to then be educated about these things. I've heard a lot of Indian stories. I'm just like, I don't know anything about that. I really need to know more because this is yeah. not only fascinating, but it's also just that's how governments work and governments fall and things happen. We're not told any of this stuff. Yeah. And so I think those are super valuable. But this is a great nice segue into it. So you have the salon. You tell us more about the salon. It's a mentorship program for South Asians in America. Tell us more how it got started and yeah. you know, what, what it's trying to Yeah, so it's, it's, it's more than just a mentorship program. So the salon is a organization that I co-founded with Nick Dodani and Vinny Chibber. And I should say they're more than actors. They're, they're producers, they're creators, and they are fantastic. I met Vinny Chibber at a, at a mutual friend's birthday party, and he was the only other Indian person at 
and I like saw him from across and I instantly beelined it over. And like my, my, my rule is honestly, if I see, if I see like a, a South Asian person at a party and I don't know them, I, I'm going to go say hello. Like yeah, I totally. just don't know who you are. Like I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm always in search of that like comfort, you know, if you will. And so, and so I went over, I talked to him and we had a really, really great conversation, the state of our industry and the state of our, you know, just our experiences, you know, in the past few years. And he had told me that he was for so long was having these exact same conversations with Nick Dodani. So he brought us three together over whiskey one day. And we, we talked about this exact thing and they had experienced the same things, the same loneliness and that isolation and uh, that, that lack of community, you know, actors. And I had felt that my whole way through, like even just, I remember when I first moved to LA and starting at CA in 2015, I, I remember there being, there were definitely some South Asian folks in the building and Asian folks in the building, but there wasn't a community, you know, there wasn't a space for us to just gather and to commiserate with one another and to celebrate and support one another it just didn't exist and so for so long I had been trying to put something like this together and in fact the salon was maybe my third try at putting together an organization for South Asian folks and the first two iterations didn't really work not for lack of trying just because the timing I think wasn't right but this third version the one with Nick and Vinny it worked because what we did was is we came together and we said okay we're going to put together an organization we didn't have a name for it for so long it was Nick Dodani that came up with the name we, we would, we, what we wanted to do was simply bring people together. And so we started in 2019 and early 2019, and we hosted our first dinner party. The salon started as dinner parties. Every other month, we would host 15 to 20 people at a dinner party. South Asian actors, writers, directors, producers, executives, and um, sorry, actors, writers, directors, producers, executives below the line, you know, um, and we would host them together. And we would just talk like the purpose of it wasn't to find business. It was to find, it was to find friendship, to build relationships. And if, and if business came out of those relationships, then great, fantastic. And business has come out of those relationships. It's really amazing to now look back at what we've done and how people have come together and how people are working together, how shows are selling, how people are getting cast, how people are getting staffed. Like that is just so, so thrilling to me. But yeah, it started as dinner parties every other month. And we had a bunch of them Had a big uh, holiday party in 2019 where we brought together all of those dinner parties and other community members that hadn't been able to attend the dinner parties. And we, we brought us together to celebrate the past year, to celebrate all of our achievements and to celebrate where we were going, you know, and to, and to put out a mission statement to say, Hey, we are the salon and we are here to bring us all together to create a safe and friendly forum for us to come together and talk about work, to talk about our personal lives, to talk about, you know, just, just to, just to be there for one another, you know? Yeah. And, and we also announced in, in the holiday of 2019 that we were going to launch a mentorship program, which was sort of our flagship program. What we wanted to do was we gathered all these successful brown people that have, that had never known what one another existed, or that didn't really, you know, hadn't, hadn't been there for one another. And we brought us all together. And we realized the thing that we can is make sure that no other South Asian kid has to come to this town and feel lonely and has mm. to feel clueless, mm -hmm. right? And so the mentorship program was launched. We put out applications last summer. We had over 50 applications from South Asian folks across the United States. And we found 23 mentees that are just superb. They're really, really superb. The joke that we sometimes like to make is that it's harder to get into the salon mentorship program than it is to get into Harvard. You have to make the joke. Yeah. <laughs> but we all said there were just so many, so many, so many great folks and so many people that we unfortunately did not have the right person to pair them. There were more mm. people that we wanted. We just didn't have the right pairings, you know. And so we brought together 23 mentees with 23 mentors. We had some really, really great mentors like um, Anish Chiganti, who uh, directed Searching. We have Simran Baidwan, who's a very upper level level writer. We have Sarah Stodry, who are both very accomplished executives. We have, we have, and then the program, I should say, we brought together Rishi Rajani, who runs Lena Waits Company, Hill mm -hmm. Brad, and we, we brought Rena Singh, who, who's over at Disney Plus. And uh, we asked them to come in and sort of work with us, the founding team, in creating this program and building the mentorship from the ground up. And so they've been a part of every decision. They've, they've led the way, quite frankly, for us. And, and so we, year one will end in December. And we launched applications for year two about a month and a half ago, and applications just closed on the 30th. And we had, we had another few hundred applications come in, and we are now going through the process of figuring out who's who, what, what mentors you know, we have available to us this next year. And I think for as long as the salon exists, the mentorship program will exist because it needs to, yeah. right? It's not that we want it to, it needs to exist. 
And and the mentorship program is just the beginning for us. There's so many more things that we have planned. We'd love to host more events. Um, we'd love to bring about other specific cultural groups within the community. Like we'd like, you know, we already have a working relationship with CAPE. We have, you know, we've, we've made outreach to a bunch, of, a bunch of other organizations that we want to bring together, you know, for when things open up and the world opens up a little bit more for like, you know, summer barbecue, for instance, if you will, like just to get us together, right? We, we have plans to raise money for grant funding of writers and directors. Um, we would like to, we would like to create a pathway for South Asian documentarians and unscripted producers to create the first piece of documentary work they can. And so we're working on all those things and, you know, we're not rushing because we're, we're going to be here for a minute. I'm not going anywhere. And, and, and I know the rest of the salon isn't going anywhere. And so, yeah, th- that's the goal of the salon. Yeah, I think it's valuable not to rush things because then it feels like you're trying to keep up with your own self. <laughs> yeah, and get it get it right for the people and the community and all that's there. So, those, so thank you for bringing those things. I might not be uh, South Asian, but I think it's really important that those spaces are made, needed, and talked about. What do you see in, in South Asian representation or what's not in South Asian representation that you're really excited to see or you're still looking for? I think when it comes to the stories that are being told, uh, I think so often, and, and this is changing, I should say, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, there's a few people that I can call out specifically, but like, I think that that for so long, because the gatekeepers of the industry, you know, more often than not white males, right? There was a very, there was a very very specific and incorrect perception of what the Asian hero is, right? Uh, we more often than not followed a model minority sort of like, you know, framework. We, you know, we're the, we were the, the computer geek. We were the doctor. We were, you know, the business owner. We were the 7-Eleven guy, right? We owned the laundromat. And that's all that Asian people were, I think, for very, very long in American media, right? This is weird to say, but like one of, one of a movie that like inspired me to do this was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? Like that's uh-huh. crazy, that's crazy yeah. to say because it's it's entirely yeah. the most racist movie of all time, right? Mm-hmm. But I was I don't know maybe six or seven, and I can't believe my parents won't let me watch the movie. But I was like, whoa, yeah, brown people on screen, like that's all I saw, right? And as I got older, I was like, oh wait a second, that movie's a little yeah. that movie's trouble, right? But all said, right, like the specificity of the Asian role was was just incorrect. And I think what, what what I'm now seeing and what I'm so excited to see is that we can be bad too. You know what I'm saying? Like I want I want the badass Asian person in in, in the movie, you know? I want I want Asian John Wick. Like show me mm-hmm. that show me that guy. You know what I'm saying? Um like I'm excited I always I'm always excited about the the James Bond chatter, right? Like who's yeah, sure. the next James Bond? I'm like Death Patel. Henry Golding, mm-hmm. let's go, let's put an in there yes. because we don't have to be sitting behind a computer anymore, right? Um, and so I think that's really, really, that's that's still what is lacking, Asian representation in media. Um, we need more of it. I, I really love what what Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher are doing with Never Have I Ever, right? I, I had never really seen, unless it was a really, really specific indie film, I'd never really seen that version of an Indian girl on screen, right? right, right. I had never seen that girl like struggle with her, uh, struggle with sex, struggle with talking to her parents about sex, you know, struggle with with just being the Indian girl, right? Like, these are all like I've talked to so many Indian girls. Like, a lot of what, a lot of what that character never have I ever is going through is something that they have gone through in in each in each in, like in each of their own ways, right? And so I want to see more nuanced takes of the struggles of being South Asian, but also not just the struggles, the the, the wins of being of being yeah. Asian, right? Like. It's fucking cool. I apologize if I'm not allowed to curse here. But, oh, um, go ahead. Okay. Please do. It's, it's it's cool to be Asian. Like like I I I just spent I just spent a bunch of a bunch of my time this past summer in New York City, and I you know I grew up there, and so I went back to like my favorite like haunts, right? Like going back to the Indian places and the Chinese places and the the sushi spots. I'm like these places are so crowded and they always have been. We're celebrating Asian food at like, like it's never been celebrated before. And in that same way, I want to celebrate the people that are making those foods, right? Mm-hmm. I want to celebrate the people that are telling the story of food. Um, and so I really, really loved uh, Taste, and, Taste, Taste the Nation, the Padma Lakshmi show. Okay. I thought that was really, really cool because she was telling really cool, you know, stories of what it means to be American food, right? With what American food really is. And so I thought that was really, really cool. And so uh, long-winded way of saying, I think for so long we've struggled with what the Asian character should be. Now I am so happy to see that that character is changing and we are more open to more nuanced and more specific takes of the anti-hero Asian person. Yeah, you know, I think it's fantastic. I think, like 
I want to see heroes. I also want to see an- the anti-hero. And yeah. but also like characters that are not perfect. They're flawed. 100%. They're 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 making mistakes, uh, doing different things too. And that's why I love Minari. Like I, I think about yeah. Minari all the time, right? Like in so many ways, they shouldn't have been in that small town, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was just it was a it was a rough rough decision for them to be there for the sake of their son, mm-hmm. for the sake of their own sanity, right? But it was it was something that they had to do. It was something they had to do to make a living, right? And even when the going got tough and when things went terribly wrong, I think. I think Stephen Yeun's character in that movie, right? Like he he made he made both good and bad decisions because he, he's a flawed person. We all are flawed. Like there's no such thing as a perfect person, right? And so I really really love that, right? Like it blew by you as well. Like mm-hmm. there's just like there's just so much there's so much nuance to us. And yes, we can be flawed, and, it, and it's okay to to be flawed because that's how you learn, right? We were, we're always told every teacher growing up was told that's why you've got to make mistakes because you learn from your mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Asian characters are not allowed to make mistakes for twenty to thirty to forty years in media. Let us make some mistakes and make just make decisions at yeah, all. Make, <laughs> make decisions. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's super valuable. And hearing from your perspective too, like you know, you're, you're you see what's going on in the backside of the industry too, um, and see what's going on there. So, what is what is this next thing for you? What's what is the next goal? If there, you know, I'm sure there's something, but yeah. is there something that you're, I don't know, really championing for in, in a way that's I don't know. That's something unique that you feel you're proud of, proud, proud, proud to do for yourself. Yeah, it's you know I I you you haven't heard of it yet. You, you haven't heard of it. But I think I'm I'm really proud of the work that that my clients and my colleagues and uh, and I are doing this year in the business. I think that we have taken really really cool projects with really interesting characters out to the marketplace. And I am it's it's sad that I'm surprised, but I'm so surprised at how at how people are receiving them, how studio executives are receiving them. I think this year alone, I've sold, you know, four to five TV shows with South Asian and Asian leads, right? I'm seeing veteran producers, like the top tier AAA producers of the world, telling, telling me, Bash, we want to tell South Asian stories, right? And, and we want to tell them with the right people. We want to tell them with all the nuance that you're talking about. I'm seeing that happen. Like, I really, really am. And and every time I like every time I, I I hear that I'm like oh my god I can't wait to tell my parents about this because you know, I really do want to win that with them so I want them to see that like the work that we do here it's it's about our culture it's about our community I want to only uplift the community and so I really am excited about that work that's being done you know I work with lots of lots of really cool documentarians as well that are telling the stories of. Asian and South Asian folks, of API folks all together, right? And they're 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 really interesting takes. Like I work with Smriti Mundra, who um, is now both Academy and Emmy nominated for her work on Indian matchmaking in St. Louis Superman. Like Indian matchmaking was such a huge win, I think, for the community. Um, I think it resulted in so much, so much, so much, you know, chatter online about mm-hmm. both the positives and negatives of that show. Mm-hmm. And and I think I'm I'm really proud of what Smriti did. With that chatter, I think she listened to all of it, and she was able to talk. She was able to talk very succinctly and appropriately out about those positives and negatives, right? And how she heard the negatives and how she's making them positives. I think that was really, really cool. And you know, it's resulting in more Indian matchmaking. Like more is coming. And, and I saw what that show did for my community. Like I, you know, I've now worked in this business six or seven years, and I had never seen interest from my community. Like I'm talking about the older aunties and uncles. Then, then I did when Indian Matchmaking came out. They were like, "Wait, wait, what? Like, you, 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 you know something about that show?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know something about that." A little bit. <laughs> well, it was really, really cool to get to to see people react to it in the way that they did, and it brought together the entire subset of my community, like the aunties, the uncles, the kids, the teenagers, the mid thirties, the mid forties folks. Like, it just brought us all together to talk about something for a while. And we had and and you watch that show. There are perfect characters on that show. There are entirely flawed characters on that show. All different types of South Asians exist on that show, and that's why that show is really, really special. And so, I'm excited for for what more is to come next year. So maybe, maybe you know, if you like me, you'll have me back, and I can tell you more about those things that I talked about last year. <laughs> sure, I love talking to you, and you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, but I was out there for five years. I just, I got that, I got that sense of like people and just talking. So yeah. I feel you, man. And so Thanks, I'm actually curious. The chat around the Indian matchmaking, it was about like it's kind of stereotypical, but it's not. It's breaking it, it's showing it, right? So how do you? I think yeah. If I can just break down that chatter really quickly, yeah. I think the chatter was mostly about the, the chatter was about casteism, right? Mm. 
It was about colorism within the Indian community because both of those two things and, and more, but let, let's just focus on those two for a quick second. I think casteism and colorism are huge issues, specifically within the, within Hindu Indians, right? Because caste is a mostly Hindu thing. And a lot of, you know, the reason why those things became an issue is the, the matchmaker at the center of the show, Seema Taparia, right? She, in her like sort of Rolodex of potential matches, oftentimes she would comment about somebody cast right this person is blah 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 this person is blah 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 right and i think we or at least our generation lives in a or wants to live in a post-caste world where caste shouldn't be an issue right and i agree it shouldn't be an issue but but the reality of the situation is you know i think in our parents generation and the generation around surrounding them caste was still a thing like some people really like you really like i, I have friends that are going through the the matchmaking or the arranged marriage process and more often than not, when you look at their, you know, they call it a bio data, which I think everyone is now maybe aware of if you've watched Indian, Indian matchmaking, the bio data is your sort of like your relationship resume, mm-hmm. who you are, picture of you, your job title, your education, the amount of money you make. And even, and even like I've, I've, I've seen this more often than not, quite frankly, also the, your complexion, right? Like there's weedish, there is fair skinned, there's dark skinned, like those things just exist. Like they really, really do exist. And so what Indian matchmaking did was it showed, it showed the practice of arranged marriage and matchmaking for what it is, mm-hmm. right? It didn't mm-hmm. comment, this is bad or this is good, right? It didn't do that. What Indian matchmaking served to do was become a mirror for us to look at what our community, for us to look and 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 give give us the platform for having that conversation because for so long the 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 topic of colorism and casteism is is spurned you know so rather spurred so many conversations about the pros and cons and and honestly they're most they're all cons like the colorism casteism all cons right but those conversations have been had forever but nothing's ever happened right mm-hmm. like you look at it and like yeah. it's really sad to say but like if you especially in India especially in India those issues still persist right and so little movement has been made on those issues and so um, I think what what Indian matchmaking served to do was be like hey we can finally talk about this on the largest of scales here's a top 10 Netflix show now it's not just Indian people that know about these things because I, I don't think you were clued into the issues of casteism and colorism within the Indian sub community as a whole right like you, I know it's there and I know Japanese it, have the same exactly. thing but it's like where is it specifically yeah and so to, to be able to now bring other people into the conversation, right, and say, hey, this exists, you should know about this, right, I think it was a, it was a big boon that the show did. Do I think we were perfect? Absolutely not, right? Do I think we could have been better? Absolutely. We can always be better. But I think that, that the criticism was valid. And I also think that the way we dealt with that criticism and the way we, the way the story that we set out to tell, and when I say we, I, I, should, I should apologize, I, the story that Smriti Mundra and her team set out to tell I think um, was told. I think they did a really fantastic job of telling that story and creating conversation, and and, and it's cons- and it's it's persisted. I it's still I still see chatter about those things, and and I hope things will change. I hope things will change, and maybe season two of Indian matchmaking will cause more chatter to uh, to uh, arise, not just in casteism and colorism, but maybe in other issues as well. Because yeah. again, we can all we can do is try to get better and better and better and better. So was that the impact of that? Was it kind of planned, kind of? Uh saw it coming that you might see like, okay, this is what it might do. How do you plan for that? Uh, I feel like yeah. I, that's what I do. I was like, think about what I'm telling here, what the impact it might do. How do you kind yeah. of wrangle it? I should that? say, I can't, I can't completely speak for the Indian matchmaking team. Cause like I said, I'm, you know, okay. I, just, I just manage the creator, but if I were put in the same position, right. If I were in the same position and I, and I know that Smriti Mundra, right. Did, she, she definitely foresaw the chatter being a thing. She definitely foresaw that happening, right? She knew that people were going to talk about those things and she was ready for it. She was ready to have those conversations. She didn't want to shy away from it. So she was ready to have those conversations. I think that if you're a good, if you're a good documentarian, if you're a good filmmaker, you are probably aware of what, of, of how people react, right? And I think it's on you to have honest conversations with your, with your viewers and your audience members, because, you know, our audience is much smarter, is, is more smarter than they've ever been. Right. And I've, I've actually seen situations in which filmmakers have been have been clued into the subversions and the nuances of their own work that they weren't aware of. Right. They're like, what's that? Right. And so I think our audience is very, very smart. But I think that what you can always do is ask yourself the hard questions when you are working on something. When you're in the edit bay, you're like, hmm, I wonder how I perceive this. I wonder how David perceives this. I wonder how Bash, Bash perceives this. I wonder how, you know, 
Joe Smith in Kentucky perceives this. Like, I think it's very wise to ask those questions of ourselves because it then allows us to create the best version of the, of the, the material there is. And so I think, and that's why they say editing is like, right. What, what, what's the, what's the, the, name third, the third written script. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's like filmmaking is editing in, in some senses, right? Like yeah. you go out and shoot that thing, but then it becomes something totally different in, in the edit bay. Right. And so when you are, wherever you are in your process, asking yourself those important questions about character, about story, about perception, I think are really, really important to help you get ahead of any such conversation, but then to also help you just be honest with yourself and with. 100%. Wow. Bash, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so thankful I got to speak with you, ask these questions and just really dive into it. Um, I'm very thankful for that. And so. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've, I've really loved being here and I love what you guys are doing. Um, the podcast you. and and I, I can't wait to to actually I can't wait to hear this episode. No, I'm, no, I'm, it's really good. I'm gonna, I hate the sound of my voice, but no, I, I can't wait to hear more and and just keep up with what you guys are up to. You guys are doing some really really strong and great work for the community. So thank you. thank you. Yeah, we got some cool stuff and coming yeah, up. So I want to shout out Rachel Whitney who uh, who brought yes. us together. She's a she's a very dear friend and and I love her and she's doing some really great things for the community as well. So thank you, mm. Rachel, for bringing us together. Yeah, thanks so much. She's amazing. She just started with us. I'm like, great. So, so just someone to step up. But as we close out, where can we people find you? Find the salon. Instagram's yeah. down right now, so get what you can. It's but, down, right? It's been it's down for a few down. hours. Um, it's been all day. I'm like trying to get this way after people will listen to this way after. I'm assuming conversation. But I think everyone will be able to relate with that because, like, what do you do when you're have a moment you're looking at instagram right and so instagram's been down for a couple of hours but when instagram is back up if it ever is you can find me at b-a-s-h-n-a-r-a-n bashnair and i think you can find me there on twitter as well i'm not really active on either or but hey feel free to connect and and we can go from there and then you can also find the salon at uh, the salon.xyz fabulous all right on bash thank you so much i appreciate your time and yeah, I definitely would love to have you back some other time and keep Please. keep us posted. Well, thanks so much, David. I really, really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your 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 audience as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, cheers. Thank you for listening to my interview with Bash Naran. If you're interested in the salon, you can check them out at thesalon.xyz. If you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to us using the email hello at strongasianlead.com. We love hearing from our audience, so please drop us a line. And we'd also really love for you to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app, as this will help us rank higher in our search results. It only takes a few minutes of your time. So if you could please stop scrolling Instagram for five minutes and help a fellow Asian out, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to attend one of our meetups in Los Angeles, please stay subscribed to our email list and keep up to date with our latest events. You can follow us on all of our socials using the handle at StrongAsianLead. And you can follow uh, me using MasMoria. That's M-A-S-M-O-R-I-Y-A. This episode and show notes are produced by yours truly. Thanks for listening to Strong Asian Lead.